I often say that addiction is the result of not knowing how to find safety inside of yourself. So you find it in something else and understandably you get hooked on it because you're desperate for safety. That's all you're guilty of. Any of you looking to learn more about supporting addiction recovery through a trauma-informed and somatic lens and a nutritional lens, please join me for my addiction circle. This is a bi-monthly, entirely free, virtual circle that I invite anyone here to come and join if they want more information. Addiction tends to be so steeped in shame, and I find that doing this work in a community of people helps to destigmatize that shame so you can see how not alone you are in the experience. So whether you are personally withdrawing, preventing, experiencing relapse, or you work with people who are actively addicted or in recovery, all are welcome. The next Addiction Circle will be held on Tuesday, May 7th at 5 p.m. EDT. This meeting is not recorded for the sake of anonymity. No registration is necessary. Just join through the link below. And dreaming, like I just think, oh my goodness, because my dream time is so filled with so much wisdom. We've been so colonized away from feeling like that's that's where the wisdom downloads. That's where the integration happens. That's where I wake up feeling, oh, now I've got you know, a new inspiration for a new creation because I've integrated and taken that time to dream. And so I think that I want to make more space for that. That's part of my dream. Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast, where we discuss every aspect of life through the lens of somatic psychology, nutrition, and self-inquiry. My name is Luis Mojica, and I'm a somatic educator who teaches people how to find safety inside themselves so they can better navigate this strange and sensational human experience. Your time to learn begins now. I'm happy to welcome back to the podcast, Asha Frost. Welcome, my friend. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's always always a delight to have you. I, I almost look for excuses to have you just so I can hang out with you. I'm so I'm so curious. You know, we were talking a bit uh, before the recording. I'm going to orient people to this unique conversation because often when you listen to a podcast or an interview around a creation someone has worked with, a big output, you know, whether it's a book or in this case a, a card deck or like my six week course, any kind of offering. We talk about it in this very stimulated, um, heightened, exuberant, vital way. And we rarely in the same conversation talk about how it can really overwhelm the body and how, like you said earlier, the need to go low after such an output can happen. So I'm orienting all you listeners to this conversation because part of the conversation is to celebrate this gorgeous deck you've put out and talk about it and speak about it, which we will get to in a moment. And also to be transparent in how you navigate releasing something big that you've worked on for a while, how that affects your body, how you go low, the shame you might feel from that. Where do we begin? Mm. I love how you just said the shame in that, because I think that that's what gets sort of identified every day is this, this voice that I know isn't necessarily all mine that says, 
why can't you keep going? Or why don't you feel like promoting this today? Or why can't you do that 20th podcast? You know, it's <laughs> like that. It I really hit a wall. And I think it's because my book came out a year ago. And it was like, it was just two things back to back that demanded that much capacity for me. And as someone I think who um, I love to have a lot of sort of in my cavern time and a lot of self-reflection time. That was a lot of output time for me that I enjoy doing. I love relational kind of interactions and it does take up a lot of my capacity. So the shame I found this time after this launch of the deck sort of really started to rise much more because I wasn't doing as much because I absolutely couldn't. And I was being more careful this time because with my book, I really burnt out fast and hard. And so it was, it's actually like, um, it was a beautiful healing moment for me to realize, oh, you're listening to your body. And that was mm -hmm. really precious for me. Just really taking this in because when I think of, even when I think of your book, you are the medicine. Um, I love how much you use the term medicine and to you, it's more than a term. It's a, it's a lineage, it's a practice, it's your body, it's your spirit, your ancestors. That's really how I, I see medicine experience as well. And I, I find it interesting how it's really easy in the modern world to burn ourselves out by giving our medicine to others so they don't burn themselves out. And I, I wanted to kind of play around that with you. Um, maybe we can rewind to the book and when mm -hmm. that was released and all the promo and all the responses and just like a huge overwhelming amount of support and excitement. But even though it's positive, it can still overwhelm the body. How, how'd you experience that somatically? What did your body do in response to that? Well, I really believe I was in a bit of a freeze uh, before it came out because I wasn't sure. You know, there's a lot of history in that book. There's a lot of truth in that book. So I think that I was a bit frozen thinking, how is this going to be received? And it was the first creation I've ever had that was received by that, by the masses in that way. Yeah. So I was mindful of the capacity I had for it to be received. And I really wasn't sure. So I was actually quite truthfully in a freeze response, probably for the first six months that mm. it, it got out there. And I was taking in the beautiful feedback, but I know it wasn't going in as deeply as perhaps it could have, if I had really worked on that capacity at the time, but it was a new thing for me. This was a new adventure. This was a new, um, a new part of my evolution. So I learned so much about, about celebration, about being able to take in all of the beauty and realizing now looking back the year ago, I was really in a freeze response of what if, uh, what if so much criticism comes my way? Am I going to be able to to tolerate that is and mm -hmm. what's going to happen to me. And I think that was ancestral too. Like just, mm -hmm. there's a lot of ancestral and generational um, trauma, I would say wrapped up in that. So just even doing it, I think my body, my body has now relaxed into this new state of receiving since I went through this past year. And Mostly the things that just delight me are the DMs I get from younger people, younger Indigenous people to spirit folks that say, I feel so seen by your words. And I was afraid more of what the elders would say, because I know that my way isn't necessarily the way that is traditional or accepted everywhere. But it was the two spirit and younger folks, the Indigenous beings that came to me. And I was like, oh, that's who I wrote it for. But you don't mm -hmm. know sometimes until you do it. Hmm. 
There's so much there. There's so much there because we're not just talking about the energy of of creating something, you know, like the practical writing it, the discipline of organizing it, getting it done by a deadline, then putting it out there. That's one process. And in that process, you're witnessing parts of yourself and going through your own like therapeutic, you know, extraction, if you will. And then there's the process of being seen. And when you're talking about intergenerational trauma, you emerge from an ancestry that not so long ago was oppressed for their beliefs. And now here you are expressing your beliefs in a really wide public place that uh, new beliefs, beliefs that aren't purely traditional and are not even purely modern. They're, they're mm-hmm. timeless and new. And so it's, it's something new and it's not predictable. So I'm hearing a lot here. I'm hearing the capacity to witness your own truth in this case, because you wrote, so you wrote from your, your body and your, and your emotions and your experiences, and then the capacity for that truth to be witnessed and what that would bring. And then the capacity to talk about it all the time, to go on podcasts, to have interviews, to do book signings. You know, what did that look like a few months after? What did your body require to actually expand into that capacity and get out of that freeze? My body required a lot. You know, we've spoken about this before, about the getting low. Every morning I go for a walk. If I miss that walk, I really can tell in my body. And there's this one spot where I lie down. It's a hill and I lie down no matter if it's like freezing, rain, snowing. I lie down and I get low and I tell my body, this is the space and time that we are going to reconnect to the earth mother and we're going to feel her heartbeat and we're going to connect to our own heartbeat. And it's just maybe a a minute, but I had to commit to doing that every day. Um, I think just to reconnect and going to sleep early. So those two things, it's just like, those were just really simple things that I had to do. But I noticed that when winter came, and it was dark really early. And my littlest wanted to go to bed at eight o'clock. I would crawl into bed. And I needed, I needed that dream time to process all that was going on in my daytime life, which mm. was a lot. And a lot mm-hmm. for someone who considers himself sensitive with a sensitive nervous system. Um, it was constant processing, I think. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was um. It's beautiful. You know, it's that that two end of like, this is so much beauty. This is so much celebration. And I always want to be honest about the impact it has on our system. I think it's so important. And it is part of your medicine, the honesty. Because mm-hmm. um, when you can see somebody who's externally having successes and creating beautiful things and being celebrated for them, Again, we still have this very modern concept in our this image of that's just your state all the time. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's what we see on on Instagram, that's what we see when we promote things on podcasts. We don't presence and revere the other side of that. You know, we revere the kind of like pioneering. I still think it's this like post-colonial mm-hmm. flight fight response we're stuck in mm-hmm. of going on dominating the field. That's what we really we're like, yeah, they're so powerful. But why aren't we also powerful when we're laying down on that hill for a minute? Yes, and dreaming. Like, I just think, oh my goodness, because my dream time is so filled with so much wisdom. We've been so colonized away from feeling like that's that's where the wisdom downloads. That's where the integration happens. That's where I wake up feeling, oh, now I've got you know, a new inspiration for a new creation because I've integrated mm-hmm. and taken that time to dream. And so I think that I want to make more space for that. That's part of my dream. 
to make mm. more space for that getting low and the rest. And, you know, it's, it's so, I have to say it's a lot of pressure, you know, just even to meet numbers and you're working with a colonial capitalistic system when you have a publisher too. So it's this right. dance, always this dance. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes that pleaser inside starts to rise because it's just like, well, numbers do matter in a way where I want my Indigenous voice to be seen and heard um, and to take up space. So I always feel like I love to dance, though, but I always feel like I'm dancing between those two <laughs> Okay, I'm going to highlight I love to dance <laughs> because that's what I love about you is there's, you know, we can have this really binary way of thinking of we have to be fully colonized or we have to decolonize everything. And obviously we would love to decolonize everything. Mm -hmm. What's the reality? And so when you're in the structure, how do you dance? How do you, how do you breathe into, you know, a colonial structure, a, a human centric structure? How do you breathe into that? The animism, the indigeneity, the magic. I, I guess I, I'm asking that as I'm mm -hmm. saying it, I'm really wondering how do you dance that dance and, and stay stay feeling safe in your own body. That is a very embodied feeling for me because it's almost when that energy comes into my body, I will feel it'll be like that bear medicine saying no, like, mm. no, this is not good for indigenous body to do it in that exact way. So how can you, how can this be a relational reciprocity, kind of reciprocal relationship with this sort of energy where you're indigenizing and maybe you're taking on some of that colonizer energy. How can mm -hmm. we weave this together? Um, but I've become very clear that it will make me sick if I don't listen to that bear medicine that says, no, this is not your way. This is not the way your ancestors wish you to put the medicine out in the world. That's very, very clear. That's very clear. I'm just getting really lit up by that because especially when you say indigenous bodies, because when I hear that, what I really hear, you know, I'm always thinking of lineages and the body that we have is, in, is in, you know, we inherit all this wisdom and, and hardship from what came before. And when you, when your body's made up of some of that um, colonizer lineage, which I like to say with an asterisk, because that's not all those ancestors were either. There was a time when they were free and they were indigenous too. Uh, but when the history, I say the recent history of those ancestors were colonizers, let's say, you have hundreds and hundreds of years of those bodies practicing numbing out from their body. So if we if we think of almost this comparative timeline, like there's the indigenous body, here's a body that comes, let's say, from European blood. Now, I'm not saying good or bad. I'm just saying one body has less practice numbing out from how they feel. They have less practice of um, oppressing and dominating lands. Another comes from a lineage that does. I'm just saying this out loud. I, I'm curious where you go with it because I think there's a real, um, there's something really important to how you just said, not good for indigenous bodies. Like mm -hmm. our bodies weren't trained that way. Like our bodies spent thousands of years learning the land cycles, body cycles, sun and moon cycles, a slower somatic process. Mm -hmm. All this somatic work we do modern day to me are just, uh, present day terms to help us become indigenous again to our bodies. So where, where do you go with everything I'm throwing out here? Oh, that I can feel it. It's I can almost feel your words coming in like warmth in my body, um, especially in my throat and my heart. It just feels like that feels like healing and truth to me. And we are up against this energy 
always, which is why your work is so vital because it's just a constant check-in of how, what is the somatic energy? What is the sensation of what's happening in this interaction? And if I can be present with that and not, um, you know, not go into my mind too much about it. Oh, that doesn't feel okay in my body. What are my, what do my bones say? What do the whispers Mm -hmm. of my ancestors say about this? And asking deeper questions so that I'm coming back to that person or that situation with, with that type of response feels like it'll be more healed in some way. That's my experience. What's happened is when I really sit with it somatically, it becomes more of a healing interaction versus a reaction. Oh, it's so gorgeous. And it brings in that, what I like to teach about the sovereign body and and seeing the body Mm -hmm. itself through the lens of animism, this Mm -hmm. beautiful creature I get to inhabit and share life with as a, you know, spirit, as a conscious mind. Um, It's more collaborative than it is dominant. Like it's even decolonial to the body itself, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. All of this. I mean, I feel so much healing happening just as we speak as always. As it's always <laughs> <Me too. laughs> happening. Um, I, I really have this vision for that for, hmm. I think as I live this and I move through this and I feel this, I can feel that sort of coming out of my cells and then out of my field. And mm-hmm. I have a dream that we're all practicing this. So then our fields are taking up more space with this somatic experiencing and, and re-indigenizing um, how we connect and relate to our bodies. It's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you've definitely been public about this on Instagram. Is it lupus? There's a condition that you, okay, can you talk? I'm just presencing that if that feels okay for you, because I think it's also important for people to know, oh, a body that has like a a chronic autoimmune experience or an expression, I like to call them, uh, is still able to do amazing things in the world. And the medicine of that expression is a a louder signal you can't ignore to help you rest, right? Oh my goodness, yes. And for so many years, I bypassed that. Um, I sort of bought into that narrative of, um, you know, that new age narrative that was maybe, you know, in my 20s of just like, you are not your disease, you are not your illness. Like, and, you know, that is true to a certain extent. Um, so, but I really bought in where I'm just like, I'm just going to act like I just have this body that is fully functioning and fully healthy all the time. And I overrode those really strong uh, whispers and and mm. screams that said, no, you need to return to your indigenous ways of cyclical living. So my decolonization or re-indigen- re-indigenization process for my body was um, like walking through fire many mm. times. Mm. Mm. Tell us more about the walking through fire. Oh my goodness. My body had to scream loudly. There were times where I couldn't get out of bed or put my own socks on or walk up the stairs Mm -hmm. because my joints were in so much pain. Uh, There were times, yeah, I was stuck in bed for a week and because I wasn't listening, because I was really trying to live in this sort of colonial capitalistic world and not giving any grace or not seeing my body as that precious being that she is. So that was my most of my early 20s and and probably all my 20s. That's how I lived. And it was um it was a huge lesson for me. So it now when it speaks just a little bit, it's it's really it's much more easy for me to listen. Mm. And in this creation process, 
again, because this was a new phase, a new part, a new new creations, I sort of had to relearn those things. So I want to presence that for folks that, you know, we don't, we don't get it one day and just it's perfect. And oh, now I've got this. And I listen to my body all the time. This new beautiful experience comes your way and you get to practice. So this last year has been about practice. Mm. Yeah, I'm just feeling, I love, you know, I'm noticing these distinctions. There's this, this concept, you're not your illness, which I, I, I agree as well in terms of, I don't believe in identifying with your illness or thinking you did it to yourself or mm-hmm. it, it takes away your value or your worth. So you're not your illness. And I see your illness as a being, you know, it, it's a presence that needs your attention and needs a relationship to be built with it. Mm-hmm. So I, what I hear you saying is this kind of new age belief was used to bypass the realities of your body. Is that what you're getting at? Yes, exactly. And that's important to me. So those of you listening, again, those of you creating something, putting something out, being seen, any level you're being seen, it doesn't matter if it's small or large. How does your body experience that? This is my favorite, my favorite inquiry with somatics in this modern world is the capacity and desire inquiry. I have a desire to make work, to be seen, to show up. Yet, what's my capacity to do that? And I learn that based on how my body experiences when I show up. And so as you're speaking about these whispers, I love that because I often will speak about the body's language is sensation. So it's not always a clear, don't go to the book signing. It's a sensation in the body that's holding you back from going to the book signing. And you don't immediately follow it. You, you do what you just said. You get curious. You speak to it. You hold it. You breathe into it. You bring it to Mother Earth. Like you, you do what you do. And then you get clarity. Is it actually the book signing or did I need to tend to myself before the book signing? Is, is that kind of your experience as well? Yes, that's exactly it. And sometimes it's really messy because sometimes <laughs> it's actually in, it's actually in, you, this has happened now with three podcasts where I'm in the conversation and I realize this person has not done any research. They don't know me at all. They don't know my medicine. They've not read my book. And so my body speaks very powerfully in those moments and says, you need to stop this. This will make you sick. So mm. it's stopping, you know, halfway through and saying, I'm sorry, I can't continue with this interview, which is super- Oh, wow, you've done that? I have, I have, and I know, I know that it's, um, I know what it goes into, to hosting a pot. Like, I, you know, I, I, but that, you know, that part of me that my, now my body is my friend. And I know that if I bypass that, that there will be, um, a reaction in my body. Mm. So, uh, yeah, so it's, that's been a learning this year too, of just speaking up for my body. And when I know it's not, there isn't that like reciprocal, um, respect that, that I feel that my body deserves and I deserve. I love that. I mean, I'm, I'm always, um, mentoring practitioners on that. People will come to me. I do these groups through the year of Mm -hmm. how to somatify, if you will, your business Mm -hmm. or whatever it is you do, how to somaticize it. And that's exactly what, what I teach. How does the relationship to your audience, whether it's a social media audience, one person on a zoom screen interviewing you, how does the relationship nurture you? Does it nurture you? If the relationship isn't nurturing, it's not a relationship to be in. And so even in that moment, like you feel it and you're like, I actually can move forward with this. I see that as a form of respect to them as much as it is mm-hmm. to you. Because to fawn and move forward with something you're not really feeling is not fair to them either. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, that is so true. That is so true. I love that frame. I love that frame because I think, and I think that that is that, 
again, that relational piece of you're right. It's like, it's a given receiving on both ends. So that is beautiful. And yeah, I think even the after, right? Because you think about one of them was a summit. So I think, well, now I'm not proud to promote this and I'm not going to, this is, this doesn't speak for my soul or my medicine in any way. So I can't fulfill my part of the agreement. And that's always at the top of my, if I agree to something, then I want to follow through. And so sometimes those things just, they've been very strong lately. And th- again, that's just been this past year where it's gotten very, it's been, it's like a shorter span of me taking action versus in the past where I would have like wondered and talked to a million people and asked their opinions. Mm-hmm. And now I just know. Hmm. I'm just, just sitting with that. I just think it's beautiful. I think it's great for people to hear that. And I, I really, I'm just, I'm noticing this, um, like when I was talking about systems earlier, like how do you breathe in your medicine, your indigeneity into a, a certain modern, you know, post-colonial construct? I see the same transformation with capitalism. Because mm-hmm. um, capitalism at its core is just an idea. It's not inherently mm-hmm. painful. It's how we've used it against each other mm-hmm. and, and how it's become transactional and not relational. I would love to dream into being relational capitalism, you know, where it's like embodied and it's based on the, 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 the tenderness and the nourishment of the relationship. And so the transaction, I mean, imagine. Oh my goodness. It, it brings chills and I agree with yeah. you. And, and, you know, something I do when to, when you're speaking about that, what I feel is um, this relationship I have, this is the first relationship that I have with this, with a publisher where it is a very, like, um, it's just very different for me. And what I felt over the last four months was this, um, it's almost looks like concrete beneath my feet, like a solid safety, which has been so healing for me. And I know a lot of people would be like, well, it's such a capitalistic model publishing the world of publishing. And I know there's lots of, you know, opinions about that, but for me, from a somatic feeling it's been so healing to have this mm. solid concrete of support that as an indigenous woman i feel it's brought safety to me so that relational energy has been very healing and it's based in capitalism so See, i that love is your so dreaming gorgeous that's like <laughs> i mean you and i both look to nature as our teacher in so many ways and that's the lesson of nature nature uses everything Nature doesn't say you're not allowed here. Like everything belongs and everything transforms into something new. And I just think that that example of how this structure that for one person could feel oppressive for you has been very safe and has even liberated many of your beautiful ideas into the world. Like, like what a gift this capitalist structure was of this publisher, you know, for you. And I think it's a gift because you're going into it with your intentions of staying embodied and staying in your integrity. So again, it, it becomes a, re- like when I was saying like relational capitalism, it becomes a relationship. The medium is capitalism, but what does it serve? It serves the relationship rather than, you know, like a giant company or something. I think it's just just a beautiful example. Thank you for bringing that in. Mm-hmm. I'm, well, I was thinking something else that rises there is like, because um, because what I can see is, there have been moments where it's like, you get a choice. You get a choice to shut down your heart, to walk away, to push it away because something has deemed that bad or evil. Um, or you can walk in this open-hearted, body-centered way that still, you still have that. For me, it's that bare medicine of boundaries. Of, but I know that connection to my body will tell me when something does not feel right. It doesn't feel relational. Mm-hmm. 
So I know that I can make more of a difference by having that relational energy with capitalism than I can by blocking my heart and closing it and walking away. And that Mm. became so clear to me in the last year. Hmm. I'm just thinking of our past conversations and things I see you write about being a bridge. Mm. And I, that's a perfect example when not everyone is called to that kind of uh, role or practice in this lifetime. Um, again, I think we connect really well because we both are called to be bridges and between mm-hmm. so many different worlds that usually would oppose each other. We're like, no, we can, <laughs> we can merge this and, and alchemize something new. And that's a perfect example of, of doing that. And just, mm-hmm. it lights me up and you're kind of healing in this moment. You're helping me uncouple these unconscious resistances I've had toward finally writing my own book because of this structure I'm afraid to go into, but I'm like, it could actually liberate me and support me. So it's so nice to just hear that from you. Yes, and I'll be here every step of the way cheering you. <laughs> You've been so supportive so far. Um, so now I want to support this, exactly what we're talking about, this deck. I want you to tell me, I, I was planning to have it here so I could like, you know, do the professional thing. Oh, <laughs> you're doing it for me. But the truth is my wife and I use it so much. It's like not even in my office right now. There it is, everybody. <laughs> The Sacred Medicine Oracle. Mm. Tell us about what inspired it. Let's start there. I have loved Oracle decks since my early 20s. And I have used them just as, as medicine for my clients and in my circles and workshops and ceremonies. And every time I shuffled, I felt this inspiration of one day I'll have my own. And it's been a really long time. Like I am now 45. It's been 25 years of just dreaming that I want to have my own as medicine because I felt them as, you know, something like initiated or catalyzed. When I would choose a card, I would, I would feel it in my body before Mm -hmm. I even knew anything about connecting to that somatic experience. I'd feel it in my body. So when I created this, you know, I had my book and I thought my big dream actually is to have an Oracle deck. So I proposed it to my publisher. And when they agreed, I was just so excited because this has been such a long time dream. Mm-hmm. And for the creation, I just asked what beings, what medicines wish to be part and how can you live together as kin or as family in this one deck? So I see all 56 cards as almost standing or sitting in a circle and just sort of chatting with each other, being with each other. The medicines are working with each other. And I, I'm so proud of it. I, I love it. And I love, I love seeing people use it, especially with their children. It just makes me so happy. Uh, people are just saying my children giggle and they have tears in their eyes and they, they just love using this medicine. And that makes me so happy. So yeah, it is, it is one of, I don't know, I feel like it's like a baby. <laughs> it's a baby in the world that I've created. I mean, your joy is palpable. You know, I'm feeling it with you as you talk about it. And I wonder for those listening who are not familiar with Oracle cards, or they are, but really they're familiar with like really specific angel decks and things, tell them what the medicine is. How do they use yours? Like what what's it what's it like? Yeah. So for so long, I would see decks that were, I used a lot of angel decks or decks that were, um, you know, we talk about appropriation and I'd say that they were just, they were taken from, the teachings were taken from my lineage, um, but it was like non-Indigenous people sharing them and I used them. They were wonderful. And I just felt like, oh my goodness, what would it be like to have this Indigenous lens um, and sacred medicine through each card? So each card is based mostly in earth-based teachings, um, reconnecting us, but 
the vision is really um, to activate that medicine within and a remembering. So I'm hoping that the artwork and also the words in the guidebook activate this remembering of why you're here and who you are and that spark of divine that you've come here to be. And that is my intention for the deck and that it's really that you're feeling it in your body. So it's cracking open parts that perhaps have been oppressed or compressed and it's just letting some more flow in. So I have like a sacred, well, I have this little book, guidebook. You choose a card um, and I don't have a lot of rules about it because I just really want you to trust yourself about how you want to use this. But when you open the deck, build a relationship with it as though it has its own spirit. So whether you want to hold that to your heart, do a little intention or prayer over it. Uh, you know, some people knock on decks to clear them. So whatever way feels right to you and then um, shuffle them up and use your intuitive knowing to choose the card that you wish, you know, to know about. And the question you can ask is, what medicine do I need today? Or if you have, a, um, you know, something that you're struggling with, um, what is the guidance I need? And then you can choose a card and you can look at it. I love to get people to look at it and see what that card means to them. What is what is the message coming to them just through their own guidance and wisdom? And then, of course, there's a guidebook for more information. Mm. Would you indulge me in like a two-minute reading? Yes, yes, I will. I thought, <laughs> sure. Um, because as you were saying, what medicine do you know? I was thinking I would love to ask about my book. You know, like what's the medicine I need to nurture this, this book that lives in me and I want to help come through into the world? I love that. So I'm going to choose three cards and ask the three cards. Hmm. Okay. Ooh. So you got, this is so beautiful. You actually got the one, the sacred medicine calling card. So the one that's oh, nice. actually the front of the deck. So the sense that I get is this is in perfect alignment with your calling. And I think you know this. Um, and the part that really stands out for me around this is the rainbow. And it just shows like this multi-prismatic soul that you are and the I feel like you awaken that in other beings, like this mm. beautiful, I don't know, prismatic sparkle. I feel that about you so powerfully, but this is your calling. And this book, it's been calling to you for a while, I feel like. Um, so it needs to be brought into being. The second card that I got is the sacred space support card. Mm. So I don't know if you've built an altar for your deck yet or your book yet. Have you built an altar? I have not. Okay. So I feel like that is an um, invitation to build a little altar for the vision of this book and who you want it to reach and uh, the impact that you want it to make on the next generations. The part that uh, stands out here too is the smoke medicine. So if you have a little ceremony every day and um, want to light a little bit of smoke medicine around that altar, I feel like it's going to open a portal for this book to come in really effortlessly. I see the channel mm. opening up very precisely and it's going to all flow. Mm. And the last card is the ancestral love card, which is the tending card. And this is just so profound. Your ancestors, you know, this dream, do you hear? They dreamed. I feel like there's some ancestors that weren't allowed to use their voice. Um, in ways that you are now and you are making them proud by doing this. This book is part of that. It's part of their legacy that perhaps they weren't allowed to share. So you are bringing that legacy forward and it is part of your calling. So the three together is a strong affirmation that these, this is a go and it is going to make a huge impact. Oh, Asha. 
from your lips to the ears of the goddess. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just, you know, I feel like I'm taking a nice warm bath of healing right now as you show me those. And I, I just, I think what I love so much about your cards and your book and you is this, this overall tone and language you use. It's so, how do I even say it? It's so compassionate. It's so curious. It's so ambiguous. It's so, when I said earlier, timeless. It really is what I appreciate the most about your teaching is they're not political. They're not social even, even though they, they affect those things. They're so rooted in your own body's wisdom, and which I always find to be a very timeless wisdom. Mm-hmm. And they can be applied to literally anyone, anywhere. And, and they're so potent mm-hmm. in this super gentle way. It's like, it's like a gentle drop into my body and then the ripples are really potent. And I just, I, I just hope everyone listening checks this out and, and checks you out if they haven't already, because there's so much here to, to explore and really enjoy. So I, I feel so grateful just to know you and I feel grateful that your ancestors survived what they did so you can be here to do this work. And I just have so, such a full heart right now as I sit in front of you. Oh my goodness, same. Our relationship means everything to me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you, my friend. I just wanted to encourage any of you who are feeling called to support Asha and get this deck so you can support yourself. The best way to do that is to go to sacredmedicineoracle.com. That's sacredmedicineoracle.com. And if you go there now, there is a Zoom replay of her spring equinox ceremony, which is incredibly powerful. And we're still in spring for another eight weeks. So it's a good relevant time to get this ceremony, to let the ceremony move through your body and also get the cards and start working with them. So again, that is sacredmedicineoracle.com. So that's the end of today's episode. Notice where you feel the episode inside of your body those sensations, those expressions. That's how your body speaks to you. Sit with it. Be with it. And let whatever wants to come up, come up. Because all the wisdom you're looking for is right there in those sensations. If you want to go deeper into these practices or find more information about my work, please visit holisticlifenavigation.com. I'll see you next time. Hello, everybody. It is the time of year to begin registering for one or two of my slow groups that begin in July. My slow groups are these special groups where I focus on one topic and we deeply unpack it over the course of six months. So these are highly nuanced, deep dive, advanced groups. These are excellent for those of you who have taken my six week course or who just want to focus on one particular topic through a somatic and trauma-informed lens. The two that are opening up in July, or will begin in July, are my Embodied Parenting Group and my Embodied Nutrition Group. The Embodied Parenting Group is just like it sounds, learning how to parent from your body, 
learning how to ground yourself in your parenting so you're not parenting from a reactive triggered place, but from a much more conscious place so you can actually find joy in your parenting instead of it being a total hellscape like some of you have told me it is and I've experienced it myself. The other group is an embodied nutrition group. This has been requested for years. For the past four years after students complete my course, they say, can you please do a course on nutrition and make it longer than six weeks? So finally, I can say, yes, you can, and I can, and I did. It is a six-month unpacking of the intersection between trauma, nutrition, and somatics. How do we recover from stress and trauma via food? How do we relate to food as a being and not just some object on the plate? What's the biochemistry of food? Why is it not the best for my blood sugar to have toast, but lentils are just fine if they're both carbohydrates? All of this and more will be unpacked in this six-month group. To register for these groups, please go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click Groups. Or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there.